When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. They're here. Pardon me, boy. Is this the Transylvania station? Yeah, yeah. Truck 29. I'm the dude. Play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. Oh, how wonderful, how wonderful. Uh, I am in conversation with James Cameron Wilson. We're going to be talking about the business of film. I have had a very cinema-centric week, James. I, um, at some stage, we have time today, I might putting in a plug for the Cinema Museum, which I went to this week, as well as seeing two films. Um, I love the Cinema Museum. Isn't it just good? I can't believe it. I haven't been before. But um, in the workhouse where Charlie Chaplin once stays, they kept saying, but they're trying to raise money. They've got a chance to actually buy their home. Um, so people should go and contribute if you actually do care for cinema but what wonderful it is are. an aladdin's cave is it not <laughs> it most certainly is but yes and you, what's more you can rub anything you like but whether it will turn into gold i don't know uh <laughs> or give you three wishes well actually i think one of my wishes would just be to go back to the cinema museum so it's working already so where are we with the uk box office we well it's a bit of a roller coaster ride you right. may remember that two weeks ago it was awful and then it jumped up last weekend yeah because the heat wave had subsided uh, it's down from the previous weekend by 7.9%, which is really only a minor dip. And apparently Sunday's takings were affected by a football match. Yes, apparently. I understand that. Yes, they were. Yeah, okay. Well, even so, the UK box office. They're, they're odd. Oh, interesting, because when there have been other very big sporting events, sometimes, of course, the cinemas show them. So they may have not been very sensible in not screening it live. I don't think it was shown live in cinema. I don't think anybody expected England to be in the finals for a start, and the BBC had the rides. <laughs> yes. And everybody could be at home uh, drinking and eating and watching England so. play. It would be quite good fun to watch in cinema. Anyway, but I can understand well, it why it have might been, have... had we known. Yes. Yeah. But even so, the UK box office takings of 2022 have now eclipsed those of 2021. And we oh. aren't even in December yet. So as far as the British BO is concerned, everything is coming up roses in spite of heat waves, a cost of living crisis, war and Chloe Kelly. Of course, I suppose we shouldn't forget that UK cinemas last year were closed for four and a half months. Yes. yes. I might have had something to do with it. Yes. <laughs> this year's takings are actually 20 percent behind pre-pandemic levels, at least for the equivalent period of mm. 2019. Sorry about that, but we have a new film at number one, which has got the widest release ever in this country of an animated feature, which is called DC League of Super Pets. I, I obviously don't read enough comics. Having presumed that DC League of Super Pets was a new confection, marrying the secret life of pets with Justice League. I gather that Crypto, Superman's Labrador, Labrador retriever, 
has been around longer than I have. He first appeared wow. in a DC comic series called Adventure Comics in March of 1955 and has bounded on from there, appearing on TV, on film, and in various video games. Likewise, Batman's pet dog Ace has been around for 67 years in ver various forms of media. Well, we get the full origin story of Ace in Warner Brothers' DC League of Super Pets, as well as the backstory of Crypto, along with a red squirrel called Chip, a pot-bellied pig called P.B., and a red-eared terrapin capable of supersonic speeds called Terrific Watsit. What next? <laughs> a sonic terrapin meets the hedgehog? Nothing would surprise me these days. As you know, I have become rather fatigued by superhero movies, not to mention computer animated cartoons. And I was not exactly looking forward to the DC League of Super mm. Pets. Well, it's the holidays and the cinema was packed primarily by very young children. And I was forced to sit alongside the far left wall. It was hot. Popcorn was in the air, and I was not happy. Yeah, I can Well, understand. let's start at the beginning. The planet Krypton is about to implode, and Jor-El, voiced by Alfred Molina, and Lara, Lena Headey, decide to send their baby son, Kal-El, into outer space to preserve their species, their super species. Then, just as the intergalactic space pod is closing, the baby's pet pooch, Crypto, <laughs> squeezes in and dog and baby are shot into space just as Krypton explodes. Many years later, when an ordinary Labrador would have died from obesity, Crypto and Kal-El have evolved into your everyday superhero, Superman, and his faithful hound, both of whom can fly. But there's a fly in the ointment as Superman, voiced by the film director John Krasinski, wants to propose to his girlfriend, Lois Lane, voiced by the film director, Olivia Wilde. And Crypto feels he is about to lose his best friend to a bit of skirt. Hmm. But no self-respecting cinema-goer had reckoned on the appearance of Lex Luthor, Superman's nemesis, voiced here by the podcaster Mark Maron who has attained his own superpowers by the securing of some orange, orange kryptonite. All this is just an excuse for Crypto to fall in with a belligerent boxer, that's a dog, not a pugilist, right, yeah, yeah. called Ace and Chip and PB and Terrific Watsit, all of whom have been transformed into super pets by a bizarre twist of fate. However, one of their own, Lulu, a hairless guinea pig, holds a terrible grudge and decides to team up with Lex Luthor along with a gaggle of similarly powerful guinea pigs, in particular Keith and Mark. What follows is your usual story of a quest for world domination by an evil being, although in this case it's a guinea pig, voiced by Kate McKinnon, <laughs> who is the best thing about the film. She's been gifted a raft of wonderful one-liners, which she spins into comic gold, reinforced with kryptonite irony, and with many of her lines actually bleeped out. In fact, the script is the thing, and it just doesn't let up, so that when all the usual superheroic tropes are trotted out, 
there's a constant thread of humour, both foreground and behind, that should keep many adults incessantly amused. I particularly liked the media reporting of the apocalyptic events with headlines that run the gamut from regarding Lex Luthor's incarceration. A wealthy person actually goes to jail to what's even happening? I, I admit it, I found myself chuckling out loud on a number of occasions. This is a film that it knows exactly how silly it is so that when the mandatory training montage kicks in, one character wearily suggests we're going to need a need a longer montage. Of course, <laughs> that's very good. I, I haven't I haven't even mentioned that this is actually a vehicle for this generation's Abbott and, and Costello, namely Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart, who voice Crypto and Ace respectively, and notch up their fourth cinematic collaboration following Central Intelligence, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, and Jumanji, The Next Level. And, of course, the animation is second to none. So I was very pleasantly surprised. It's always nice to be sort of grumpy at the beginning of a film and find <laughs> that a film is actually just so enjoyable that you go along with it. How splendid. Well, I guess, James, next time there's a, a sort of kid-friendly movie, you get there much earlier. Uh, well, yeah, indeed, yeah. yes. So you um, think so adults and children are going to enjoy it? Immensely? Oh, yeah, I think adults will love it. And the children were obviously enjoying all this, the, the Pratt Falls. And the, the lines are terrific. Uh, oh. And it made 2.6 million quid over oh, the yes. weekend. I meant to ask, 2.6 million, and presumably we'll take rather a lot more. Well, we shall find out what else is in the chart in just a moment. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is the Business of Film on Share Radio. I'm Simon Rose in conversation with James Cameron Wilson as he takes us down the UK box office chart. We've just been looking at DC League of Super Pets. I must say, it doesn't sort of make me want to go. No, see it, it didn't but, make me want yeah. to see it. I saw it for you, Simon. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. So how no, kind I, I am to you. Which is so, more than I can say for what the us... film at number two, Minions: yep. The Rise. Oh, of Oh, yeah, yes. Which seems to have got something right because children love it. It's down thirty-six percent. It's now made thirty-three point five million pounds. Uh, I also hated Thor four, which was at number three. Uh, for, down from two, down 38%, which made 1.9 million last weekend, now with a total of 30.8 million. I did enjoy Elvis up to a point, which is at number four, which has held its position down only 12%. It made 1.1 million last weekend with a total of 20.9 million. This is, of course, Baz Luhrmann's mm. take on the life of Elvis Presley. Brilliantly played by Austin Butler, with Tom Hanks miscast, I felt, as Colonel um, Tom Parker. At number five, I did love, and everybody appeared to have loved, Top Gun Maverick, down a mere 10%. It made, just scraped beneath 1,981,000 quid for a total now of £76.1 million sterling. It is now shouldered the Lion King out of the top 10 highest grossing films in UK box office history. So mm. Top Gun Maverick is now at number 10. The question is, can it now top Titanic, which has settled in at ninth position? 
And I think it probably will if it's only gone down 10% in the mm. last weekend. And it's doing incredibly. I wish I could say the same. It's like slight surprise. In fact, the t- t- Titanic is as, as low as that. You sort of forget how many films have come afterwards that have beaten it. Well, I know this is very true. Um, when you think of, well, for instance, no uh, Spider-Man No Way Home mm. did incredibly well. That, that's at now at number four. No Time to Die is at number mm. three. Avengers Endgame and Avatar Spectre, Star Wars The Force Awakens, they've all pushed Titanic down to number four. Right. Okay. So where do we get to? We lost well, I was just six. saying, uh, number six, Where the Crawl Dads Sing, which I think I liked marginally more than you did. Mm. I just didn't believe in the central character. I just didn't believe that she was a creature of the swamp. Yeah, played by I'm with the you wonderful there. Daisy Edgar-Jones. I think if you've read the book, avoid it. But I think there's a lot in there. It's quite a strong story uh, to enjoy. It's down 39% for, with a total of 3.8 million. At seven, we've got a 1987 film with Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze called Dirty Dancing, which is a part of the secret cinema. Oh, uh, is it? Oh, gosh, right. Yes. Which is now back uh and flourishing at number eight we've got jurassic world dominion which was at seven down 34 percent with a total of 34 million pounds and again uh, we've got prima facie now at number nine which is the nt live event susie miller's one woman play in which jody coma plays tessa a criminal defense barrister which made two hundred forty-eight thousand on one day i'm very tempted to see I, I missed this weekend's one, but I think I will try and go. There's another one in late if, August. Yes, I, please remind me because I feel I should go and see it. Everybody says it's absolutely wonderful, um, grueling, but but wonderful. Well, um, I think Jodie Comer is an extraordinary actress. Yes. So that was number nine. And, and strangely, because I haven't seen Prima Fassi, but the film I probably think is best is at number ten, down forty percent, which is The Railway Children Return which I start, as I started watching it, I got very irritated by the fast cutting and the moving the handheld camera. Mm. And then once I got into the story, I, I was so touched and moved by it. And I think it's a very important film. Mm. And believe it or not, I think it was better than the original, The Railway Children Return. Wow. Well, you may be the, one of the few critics I've seen to say that. Really? Uh, James, you said, you yeah, I, well, the ones I've seen are pretty ropey and it hasn't done terribly well but i would maybe i will try and catch that it's certainly a good sort of thing to see in the summer uh, you said how much you hated um thor 4 but i saw another film from that director sitting in front of battersea power station last night in deck chairs uh with the river just behind us i did expect to see any movie we saw hunt for the wilder people which was also directed by taika waititi and even has a small role in it himself, Sam Neill. A film I adored at the time, saw again and adored even more. There's something so magical about seeing films outdoors, which of course they do lots in America. They well, do it here, but the, my only other experience of it was getting absolutely soaked watching an outdoor screening of Back to the Future. But this summer, I do recommend to people, if you've got um, outdoor screenings anywhere near you and the weather holds, try it. It's just wonderful. Really? You didn't find it distracting? No, there was an occasional noise from other people because it's the middle of a big complex. Mercifully, the, there were very few planes going into Heathrow along the river, as far as I could tell. And after a while, you just find yourself completely ab- absorbed in, in what's happening. The setting was fantastic. The sound system was incredibly good. There were speak- a lot of speakers, which meant you could, I must try could hear this. very I've well. Never, <clears throat> I've never been to a drive-in in my life. 
Well, it wasn't a drive-in. It was a sort well, of sit-in. But... Sit but yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I like it. Um, there's a group called Lunar Cinema who do quite a lot of stately homes and places like that around the country. Um, but certainly, because you wouldn't want to come out to London just for that, I suspect. Uh, none of these films are first-run films. They're always... So, for instance, This Evening, which I can't go to, is Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I suspect would also be rather, oh, yes. rather good outdoors. Indeed. Um, so Anyway, um, if I, I may... Of course. Yes, talk about yes. a Netflix release. Yep. I knew nothing about rogue agent going in and i suggest you do the same don't even read the tagline on imdb <laughs> it gives the entire thing away just in one sentence all you need to know is that it's a drama inspired mm. by a true story mm. and deals largely with deception and manipulation the film begins in 1993 when england is being targeted by ira bombings and on the soundtrack, Gemma Arterton gives us the rundown on how to be a superlative MI5 operative. When recruiting, she says, make eye contact just long enough to register your mark's eye colour, acquire the ability to hide in plain sight, and learn how to read people. Robert Hansen, played by James Norton, is hiding behind the bar of a Shropshire pub in his eyeing three potential prospects to become freelance spies to help inform on suspected IRA terrorists. Now, I repeat, this is a true story, and things get really interesting when, nine years later, Hanson is now working as a car salesman in London, and Gemma Arterton, as Alice Archer, is a high-end litigations solicitor. Amazingly, both he and she appear to be single, and fancy free, and on the street he approaches her, an overture which is abruptly brushed aside. But she feels guilty and returns to his car showroom the next day to apologise. However, he misses... Well, sorry, um, but before we know it, he takes her on a test drive in a BMW and a dinner date is arranged. How about he, he misses the date and the next evening... When Alice is at home making herself supper, he rings from the street below to apologise and to give her a painting in a way of recompense. Apparently, he had spent the night before in the hospital with his father and wasn't allowed a mobile phone in the ward. So she, feeling awful, invites hmm. him in for dinner. We now discover that Robert has terrible taste in art. The painting he gives her is of the head of a leopard. He doesn't drink, but most of telling for me most telling of all was and you may even miss it is that he licks his knife at the dinner table Ugh. Ugh. Dear me. how common he then gets up abruptly and leaves alice who herself is suspicious by nature very independent and perhaps highly strung is thrown onto the back foot the question is who is she and who is he they are both attractive, charming, 30-something people and are beautifully played by Gemma Arterton and James Norton. And the latter keeps Alice and us guessing as the story unfolds. The question is, how well do we know anybody? And at some point, Robert is going to have to let Alice know that his role as a car salesman is just a cover. Apart from the romantic intrigue, 
what drew me into the film was that it was so comfortable in its own skin that it didn't feel the need to drum up the action and to allow the two lead and yeah just to allow the two leads to shoulder the drama mm. for a netflix release rogue agent was surprising in the noticeable absence of fast cutting propulsive music inane exposition or jump scares the directors adam P patterson and declan lawn who co-wrote the screenplay with michael bronner from his own article chasing agent freeguard seemed to feel that they had a good enough story without having to resort to any cheap narrative tricks. Consequently, I was completely absorbed and indeed gripped. At times it feels more like maybe a high-end TV drama, but it's one that really delivers emotionally. Because oh, I was going to say, should it not have been a cinema release, but it sounds as if it's... I suppose now what we're seeing is highly produced, made-for-TV movies on TV. Well, yes, I suppose it is a TV movie because it's Netflix. Yeah. But it, it keeps us and Alice guessing until the very end. I, I think the real shame about the movie is the title is so generic. When I saw Rogue Agent, I really wasn't expecting something as accomplished as mm. this and as gripping. And the fact that it was true, amazingly. Oh, fascinating. So Rogue Agent, terrible title, but great movie by the sound yeah, of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I like... and. They're both terrific actors, James Norton and Jim Arterton. But um, very briefly, on to another online release on Amazon Prime called Prize Fighter, The Life of Jem Belcher. And who better to play a man with a mean right hook than Matt Hookings? In fact, Matt <laughs> Hookings, who previously played St. Francis of Assisi in an obscure film called The Obscure Life of the Grand Duke of Corsica, also wrote the screenplay to Prize Fighter, the life of Jem Belcher. I have to say that the title did give me pause. It reminded me of the sort of film that fails to have the competence of a simple moniker and has to explain itself. In fact, there is a lot of explaining in Prize Fighter, The Life of Jem Belcher, which is about a prize fighter called Jem Belcher. It turns out Never. that he was... <laughs> well, apparently he was a big noise in his day, right. the early 19th century, and had the moniker of he was known as the champion of england and the napoleon of the ring and was referenced by both charles dickens in the old curiosity shop and by sir arthur conan doyle boxing was in his blood as we see when the young gem forces his way through a crowd to see his grandfather mm. jack slack beat an opponent half his age to pulp in a bare knuckle contest jack slack is played by russell crowe which is odd as the Antipodean actor brings a stellar attention to the film, which it really can't justify. There's also Stephen Burkoff and Julian Glover in the cast, which is perhaps more in keeping with its standing as a small film fighting to make itself known in the competitive cinematic world. Russell Crowe had a similar role in Justin Kurzel's True History of the Kelly Gang, being a major star wheeled on early on in the proceedings to provide some stellar backup, playing a disreputable figure who implants suspect notions of manhood to his young ward, namely Ned Kelly in the earlier film. Um, basically, this film looks stunning, but it knows it looks stunning and no shaft of sunlight goes ignored. The dialogue feels like dialogue. The acting 
looks like acting. I don't think poor old Matt Hookings really has what it... He has no human depth about it. Mm. And I just felt it was really... I mean, I know that it had incredible production problems. It was shot in Wales and Malta and Lithuania. And it really does look like a B-movie trying to punch above its weight. And the dialogue is... I mean, poor Stephen Burkhoff is given impossible dialogue, including one line urging Jem, embrace the sovereignty of your own mind. So what we're talking about is dialogue. <laughs> Thank you. That's my new word of the day. <laughs> dialogue, indeed. Please take it, James. I can't use it. But thank you very much indeed. That's been it for uh, this edition of The Business of Film. Uh, James will be back with more of the same at the same time next week. We all go a little mad sometimes. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! We rob banks. I'll be back. <laughs>